0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll talk with the Manitoba Wildlife Federation about chronic wasting disease. Also, Glenda Lee Allen Vossler will talk with Brandon Leslie, Grain Growers of Canada's Manager of Policy and Government Relations. And up first in today's country comment, I'll talk with Barry Friesen, Executive Director of Clean Farms. The latest farm news and market numbers, all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Clean Farms has hired a new program coordinator for Manitoba. Serena Klippenstein will be taking on the position. I got the details from Executive Director Barry Friesen.
1: As you probably heard uh, or know that our programs are expanding in Manitoba and uh, we can no longer do it remotely. Uh, And it was just a natural to to add somebody in Serena. Uh, who who comes to us with a, with a great background in agriculture uh, is going to be managing the uh, the Manitoba operations and uh, as we continue sort of transition certain programs and and grow them
0: yeah and uh, with some of the changes going on in Manitoba talk a little bit about uh, what her role will be
1: well her role is uh, is a coordinator uh, and uh, you know we want to, to drive Questions and and uh, comments, and uh, you know any queries about it, as well as uh, t- towards her, as well as uh, you know a- as we continue to expand and, and look at uh, you know studies and various uh, uh, things like that to make things running smoothly. And uh, you know, and you asked about sort of the transition. We are also in the midst of. Uh, a three-year transition moving from a, a long-standing program where uh, our, you know, our original program, which is the small pesticide and fertilizer containers, uh, when I say small, it's, you know, typically 10-liter containers, um, uh, had been collected at uh, municipal sites uh, since 1989, and we're transitioning that to uh, retail collection sites so that instead of at the, the municipal sites, it will be at uh, retail sites. This is happening in most of the rest of the country. The only other province that, that has the, the municipal sites is Alberta and they're transitioning too. We're not doing it overnight. We're doing it over a three year period and so it's a phased approach and we'd ask folks to be in touch with their collection site or just go onto our website and to learn more information about it.
0: And uh, Barry, talk a little bit about the work that uh, Serena will be doing with uh, local municipalities to become collection sites for uh, grain bags, twine, and egg film.
1: Well, that's uh, a good point. Uh, you know, the, what she'll be doing is uh, uh, we're setting up uh, collection locations for these other new materials. Uh, and in those cases, uh, uh, collection sites will be compensated for their work. And uh, so she'll be reaching out to various uh, folks uh, you know, ideally, you'd like to have as many collection sites as possible, but uh, it requires some infrastructure in, uh, to put in place. So not every uh, location will have one, uh, but uh, it uh, the, the key is balancing to have enough collection sites so farmers don't have to drive too far and uh, and collecting a high volume of these materials. And so she'll just be uh, reaching out to them uh, as need be if folks want to be a collection site. Where Welcome to entertain them and uh, certainly contact her at, uh, at uh, the phone number or email address uh, on our website, and we can go from there.
0: Clean Farms received some funding from uh, Dairy Farmers of Canada. Tell us a little bit uh, about that uh, program.
1: Well, that was a very exciting program, in, in that uh, the dairy industry recognized that sustainability is an important part of their platform. They have uh, a net zero goal. Uh, uh, for for carbon net zero uh, by a certain date, and uh, this is one of those things that will help propel them into that thing. As we know, uh, when you recycle plastic, uh, the, the type of plastic that's used in dairy, in twine, and, uh, uh, and bale and silage wrap, every ton of that uh, yields 1.7 tons uh, of uh, greenhouse gas savings. So it's an incredibly important uh, part of it and uh, what uh, they have done is they've given us funding towards a, a pilot program eventually to make this a permanent program across the country.
0: All right. Uh, Barry, anything else to highlight here today?
1: No, other than the fact we're always very, very pleased with uh, uh, Manitoba farmers and their uh, their commitment to sustainability and environment. And just uh, the, the, one of the key things also to, uh, to note is that there are jobs and not only environmental benefits, but social benefits through jobs associated with this. We use uh, uh, local contractors, uh, Miller environmental based out of uh, St. John Baptiste is one of our key contractors. We also use GFL in, in Manitoba as well. And there, there is others as well that we use. And these are people who, who permanent jobs dedicated to making our life and our environment better. So. Uh, every time you recycle, uh, you support these people as well. So it's really, really important uh, both for our environment and our economy to support these programs.
0: That was Barry Friesen. He's the executive director with Clean Farms. Serena Klippenstein has been hired as the organization's new program coordinator in Manitoba. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. Manitoba Beef Producers is welcoming this week's announcement regarding an initial list of designated regions across the prairies where livestock tax deferral has been authorized for 2022 due to extreme weather conditions. General Manager Carson Callum talked about the benefit to producers.
1: So
2: effectively, if they had to sell a larger portion of their herd more than their usual annual marketings, they're obviously going to have some tax implications with that. So being able to defer some of that income into a year where... Uh, they may have purchased some of those animals back to offset that and not have uh, such a great tax implication um, is really the benefit of the program. Yeah, it really helps in those years where, like last year, where there was a great deal of sell-off due to drought.
0: To defer income, the breeding herd must have been reduced by at least 15%. As conditions for farmers have improved this year on the prairies, a Statistics Canada estimate shows that yields and production numbers are also improving. While well, that may seem like a cause for celebration, Vice President of Leftfield Commodity Research John Drieger says the outcome will be determined due to the weather.
2: We're, we're sort of getting, uh, getting on into harvest here in Western Canada. You know, some places well advanced, others are, are in the earliest stages. And really until that crop is in the bin, it's it's just sort of a, a best guess. So we should find out in a few weeks as farmers get further along in their fields here how yields are, are shaken out, and, and that's kind of really the ultimate measure.
0: All commodities are up in production with many near 50% improved year over year. And a major player in the Western Canadian lamb market is filing for creditor protection to try to restructure more than $50 million in debt. The North American Lamb Company, along with its six subsidiaries, filed for protection under the company's Creditors Arrangement Act on August 8th for its vertically integrated operations, which include a feedlot processing facility and sectors for marketing and breeding. Nelk was formed back in 2018. The merger between Alberta based Sun Gold Specialty Meats and Manitoba's Canada Sheep and Lamb Farms, with the capacity to annually process 80,000 animals. Some of the farmers affected by the news say while they weren't always pleased with Nelk prices. Not having the company's presence in the market makes the economic landscape for sheep producers more difficult. As a result of the announcement, lamb prices have dropped quite dramatically in the last couple of weeks. That price drop comes at a time of high feed prices this year and in the wake of feed shortages last year due to drought. That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Friday, September 2nd. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee allen Vossler chats with Brandon Leslie, grain growers of Canada's Manager of Policy and Government Relations. August 31st marked the last day for input during the federal government's consultations over their proposed fertilizer emissions reduction target. Grain Growers of Canada was one of a number of farm groups taking part in that consultation process. Leal allen Vossler had an opportunity this week to chat with Brandon Leslie, Grain Growers of Canada's Manager of Policy and Government Relations, about the recommendations they put forward.
3: Brandon, to begin with, let's start by talking about the fact that the federal government has set a target of reducing fertilizer emissions by 30% from 2020 levels.
4: Clearly, there's been some significant worry amongst farmers across Canada regarding the the government's proposal to reduce fertilizer emissions by 30 percent and questioning how that's possible without reducing yields and profitability. So I think our main message to government has been that Canada will have to balance the goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions from fertilizer uh, against farm profitability, our economic growth and global food security.
3: Daniel, there's been a lot of concern in the industry as to where the federal government's fertilizer emission reduction target will actually lead, what it will actually mean. Will it, will it inevitably mean a limit to the amount of fertilizer producers will be able to, to use and access on their operations? Now, of course, the federal government just wrapped up their consultations on their fertilizer emissions reduction target, and the grain growers of Canada actually took took part in that consultation.
0: Yeah,
4: absolutely. I mean, the, our three recommendations really start with targeting the reductions in intensity relative to productivity uh, rather than an absolute reduction in use. At so the time, we have b- growing food insecurity around the world, uh, the world is looking to Canada to grow a lot more food, and and trying to limit how much we can ultimately grow uh, is is certainly problematic uh, going forward. And there's a number of problems with the the data collection of, of how these emissions are registered. Um, they they currently look at sales reporting rather than actual use, uh, so we don't know how much how much the actual emissions are. And, you know, for the last 10 years or so, farmers have been embracing 4 our nutrient stewardship application practices uh, that haven't been captured in the National Inventory Reports, uh, in which we submit to the UN. And we don't really have a lot of confidence of how they're going to uh, incorporate those going forward. So it's a real tough challenge of how we accurately measure these emissions and make sure that we're getting credit for the work that farmers have already undertaken.
3: There is no one-size-fits-all approach to this. No, I mean,
4: you know, I, I think... Farmers expect the government to be reasonable and listen to what they say is feasible on the ground. And, and we certainly delivered that message to Ottawa on our submission. Um, as I mentioned, Canada farmers uh, can use 4 our nutrient stewardship principles uh, to effectively reduce their carbon footprint and have been steadily increasing adoption of those practices. Uh, however, the, the adoption of those practices can substantially reduce emissions, but it will take a very high adoption rate uh, of advanced practices to reach the 30% reduction target. Uh, by 2030. And there's significant cost barriers to certain new products or equipment, you know, particularly at a time that farmers are holding more debt than ever before while facing increasing uh, interest rates. So again, I think we need to be realistic about how fast we can achieve this goal, particularly as the world looks to us to produce more food.
3: This is a very costly input and they keep that in mind when they're, they're booking it a year out.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean this is this is arguably the biggest line item on any grain farm. Uh, so this idea that they're not using it anything uh, more than judiciously is a little bit crazy. this is this is uh, an investment, I think, to many farmers that's had a proven track record of uh, of return on investment in terms of crop yields. and they certainly do not want to waste it both to protect against emission losses, but also their own financial losses.
3: Now, the grain growers of Canada, as you referenced, have come up with three key recommendations that they put forward. Let's start by talking about the first one, which is targeting reductions in intensity relative to production rather than an absolute reduction.
4: When you put an absolute reduction of 30% based on a baseline uh, that is arguably flawed in how the data is collected, you're potentially putting a ceiling on how much we can produce. Over the last number of years, you know, through all pretty much all commodities, we have increased the amount of uh, of our productivity, which is excellent. And I think farmers certainly rely on that to continue. We need to increase our yield going forward. And as I said, the the world continues to look to us to produce more food. So I think it's important to recognize the work that farmers have done over the last last number of years of embracing beneficial management practices uh, that are better for the environment and ultimately better for the bottom line while simultaneously uh, increasing the amount of food that they produce. So focusing on the intensity of those emissions, if we can produce more food using less emissions, that's ultimately the goal. We call it sustainable intensification of production. And I think that that's ultimately the goal in which we should be working towards both as a sector, as a government, and as a country to make sure that we're able to feed that growing world population
3: The second resolution really flows into the third, but it focuses on addressing data gaps to ensure the baseline reflects usage patterns and accurately measures emissions.
4: So one of the biggest problems with the current systems uh, of emission measuring is that there's significant gaps in data or the data is incorrect. And it currently relies on sales reporting of fertilizer and not the actual use data, meaning that even if fertilizer is kept on farm from one year to the next, the emissions are measured as if it's been applied and then further in the national inventory reports the past adoption of four-hour practices over the last decade have not been accounted for and there seems to be no plan as to how they will be accounted for going forward making it difficult to understand how further adoption is going to be accounted for in terms of this 30 percent reduction target
3: and of course number three follows right in line with that as far as incorporating the best management practices like for our nutrient stewardship into that national inventory report.
4: Yeah, so there's certain government programs that have recently uh, been enabled for farmers, which are are certainly a step in the right direction, uh, most notably the on-farm climate uh, action fund which try to incentivize farmers uh, to utilize these practices because they can be quite expensive. Uh, However, looking back in the national inventory reporting metrics, they don't account for those that were early adopters of those practices, and they still seem to have a plan of how we're going to account for those practices going forward. So even if under a government program we have further adoption of more advanced uh, for our nutrient stewardship practices uh, or more basic adoption across a wider swath, it's unclear how those practices being adopted are actually going to be accounted for. So it's difficult for a farmer to understand how we're going to get credit for the work that has been done and will be done in the years ahead.
3: I've been talking with Brandon Leslie, the Manager of Policy and Government Relations with the Grain Growers of Canada. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen-Bossler.
0: That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Lee Allen-Bossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Reunion Days is taking place at the Pemina Thresherman's Museum today and tomorrow. Fall in the Farm takes place September 5th at the Mennonite Heritage Village in Steinbach. The Cultivate Sustainability Conference and Trade Show is planned for September 7th at the RBC Convention Centre in Winnipeg. Register for the conference at foodbeveragesmb.ca. And the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is hosting the 5th Annual Regenerative Agriculture Conference November 14th and 15th in Brandon. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon... The Manitoba government is investing an additional $350,000 to help prevent the spread of chronic wasting disease through year-round monitoring and enhanced sampling efforts during the upcoming big game hunting seasons. To learn more about chronic wasting disease, I spoke with Carly Deakin. She's the managing director of the Manitoba Wildlife Federation.
5: Chronic wasting disease, unfortunately, is an incurable highly contagious and always fatal disease um, and it's detrimental to family members of the deer family which we call cervids and that that includes white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, moose and caribou. So like without getting too technical um, what it is it's like a self-propagating protein which scientists call prions and they replicate and affect their central nervous system so in the very early stages, chronic wasting disease in infected animals can appear very normal, but the prions are unfortunately still spreading. Um, but as the disease progresses, animals tend to be like less alert, they're fearful, um, they're generally unhealthy looking, uh, there's obvious weight loss, and then it progresses further and infected animals become very thin and they're uncoordinated and their head droops, their ears droop, they're very unaware of their surroundings, and they have really excessive drooling. So there's um, very evident um, symptoms that are occurring, And uh, like I mentioned, it's very contagious. So infected animals can shed these prions. And mostly it goes through like saliva and feces and urine um, after death. However, their remains as they decompose, these prions can actually de- be deposited into the environment and actually stay there in the environment for a period of up to five years. So that's kind of scary. <laughs>
0: Now, uh, when was this first detected here in, uh, in Manitoba, and how many cases do we have?
5: Uh, we, have uh, we have five confirmed cases. Uh, the, first, the first case was detected, I believe, back in November of last year. Um, all five of the cases were identified in buck mule deer, so male mule deer, um, and mostly in the west and southwestern regions of Manitoba.
0: Now, um, talk a little bit about uh, funding from the province, um, you know, what that's going to be used for. Um, They're sampling ongoing right now. Just talk about some of the efforts that are, that are going on.
5: The province has had a chronic wasting disease program in place for, like, prevention and surveillance since 1997. So this is something that they've been pretty proactive with, um, and that's included surveillance bans on bringing potential chronic wasting positive animals or materials into Manitoba, And then they've looked at minimizing areas that would potentially attract clusters of animals. So you don't want want animals clustered and feeding together, so they've had restrictions on feeding and baiting in areas of Manitoba as well. Um, Recently, the government announced that they've invested 350,000 into additional um, drop-off locations and more resources. And this is really gonna help reduce the um, locations on where you can drop off mandatory samples, but also the turnaround times for testing samples submitted by hunters which is really great. Um, so they, so drop-off locations are more accessible throughout Manitoba now, and I believe we have currently um, th- 30 drop-off locations listed on their website, which is great because now it's accessible um, right across Manitoba. Um, in addition to that, the province expanded the Harvest uh, Survey Mandatory Biological Sample Zone. And just to explain that a little bit better, They've identified game hunting areas where all licensed hunters will be required, so it's mandatory to provide the head and upper neck samples of harvested white-tailed deer, mule deer, and elk for chronic wasting testing. Um, So these samples uh, you can submit without the antlers, um, but it will allow the province to effectively... Identify animals and determine if there's any spread of the disease across the province. And uh, also, new this year, they've announced um, a newly established resident only mule deer hunting season. Since we've only found it in mule deers to date, um, they've, they've given those game hunting areas um, a bag limit of one mule deer and then a second and third antlerless mule deer. Um, those licenses have a 550 fee, and the season dates and equipment types. Types are the same as white-tailed deer, so hunters can purchase these licenses now on the e-licensing website and find more information on that.
0: How important is it to to keep this uh, in check?
5: Yeah, it it can be really detrimental to our cervid populations. Um, it's like I said, it's very contagious, um, it's fatal, um, and 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 it can it can have a, a high impact on on our deer, mule deer, and and unfortunately, what we don't want to see is is into elk and moose as well. So. So it's really detrimental. Um, hunters play a massive role in this because the only way that you can detect chronic wasting disease, you know, aside from visual symptoms, which isn't a proper detection, but um, you can only do that through, through the sampling methods. So um, you can just, you, you diagnose it pretty much in a microscope. So, so hunters play a massive role in, in, in bringing in those, those samples and allowing the province to expand their surveillance that way and see how quickly um, and widespread it's, it's spreading in the province.
0: Carly, any advice for uh, hunters, you know, as we uh, get into the big game hunting seasons?
5: Yeah, for sure. Um, avoid contact with these wild animals if they appear sick, then, um, you know, stay away, just report them to the enforcement branch or uh, call your local conservation officer. Um, hunters are the eyes and ears in the landscape. So if you see also any uh, surveys with ear tags um, or locations of animals congregating or illegal feeding sites and also report that to your enforcement branch or your SEAL officer, um, just look at the regulations. Um, the government has this really great website with all the chronic wasting disease information on it, and it, and it, and it emphasizes those game hunting areas where there's mandatory sampling, so check in, check in to see that. Um, And obviously, you know, anybody outside of those mandatory sampling areas, which are voluntary, um, we would encourage you to to submit samples as well, just because it helps the province, obviously, like I said, identify um, a further distribution of of what's happening with chronic wasting in the province. That website is manitoba.ca slash CWD. And there's lots of information on there to hunt for hunters.
0: That was Carly Deakin, Managing Director with the Manitoba Wildlife Federation, talking to us here today about chronic wasting disease another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment time now for another look at today's farm news this week statistics canada released its report into what this year's crop will look like as conditions seem to be improving across the prairies john Drieger, vice president of Leftfield commodity research says the outcomes from that are not too surprising
2: I think the numbers, by and large, not overly surprising. I think relative to, to trade estimates uh, coming in, so so in that sense, it wasn't a particularly surprising report. But but certainly, you know, what, what came out and what uh, I think is largely expected is is that certainly relative to last year, anyway, you know, we, we have a have a crop in Western Canada that's uh, that's a lot more closer to, uh, to to average, at least the way it looks uh, the way it looks today.
0: Drieger says it'll be a good idea to watch the skies as the biggest determining factor for those estimates will be the weather. Earlier this week, the federal government announced an initial list of designated regions across the prairies where livestock tax deferral has been authorized for 2022 due to extreme weather conditions. Manitoba Beef Producers General Manager Carson Callum talked about some of the eligibility requirements.
2: You had to have um, sold at least 15% uh, of your herd, uh, of your breeding stock. Um, to be able to um, qualify for the tax deferral and defer some of that income. Of note, though, this is just related to the breeding herd, and both Provincial Cattle Associations as well as the Canadian Cattle Association has, has been advocating for quite some time to expand uh, this program into other classes of cattle, backgrounding, for example, because uh, they're also impacted by um, having to sell off as a result of feed shortages.
0: And a pair of Manitobans have been selected as finalists for the Cattlemen's Young Leaders Mentorship Program. Those names are James Kinley of Cartwright and Stefan Bowe of Anola. Finalists will be awarded a $2,000 budget to put towards beef industry travel and learning opportunities of their choice and be paired with a hand-picked industry leader for a nine-month mentorship in their specific area of interest. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, farmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.